Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to the Lost in Science Summer Series. As is our tradition in January, our four regular presenters will take a break for a month to recharge their solar batteries and to find new stories to amaze you with for the coming year. But to make sure that you don't miss out on your weekly science dose, we present Tales from the Laboratory. This is where scientists and science enthusiasts talk about their favourite scientists. Later on the show, you'll hear comedian Jess Moyer tell the story of the 17th century scientist, physician, alchemist and all-around well-liked intellectual Catherine Boyle. But first, from National Science Week 2017 in Perth, we have Professor Lynn Beasley. Professor Beasley is the former Chief Scientist of Western Australia, 2015 Australian of the Year and the founder of Dolphin Watch. And she will be talking about the life and career of Australian geneticist and neurologist Pat Kalis. Isn't this a great evening and a wonderful idea? We've got to make this a regular. Wow. So my first question is, who likes Kalis fish and chips? You've had good fish and chips tonight, but who's eaten Kalis fish and chips? Yes. Okay. So I'm going to tell you why they're so good. I'm going to tell you the story of a West Australian. This is West Australian science because we lead the world in so many things and we tend to keep our light under a bushel a bit, but we shouldn't. So I'm talking about Patricia Hurst and probably better known to you as Dr. Patricia Kalis. So I'll start the story. So Patricia Kalis, well, Hurst, when she started out, went to a very swish school in Melbourne from an old established Melbourne family and, of course, succeeded in school, swept into uni and studied medicine at um, Melbourne University. At that point, she decides to sort of stretch her out a bit and she decided to come to Western Australia to do her internship as a junior doctor. Her parents are a bit uncertain about this because Western Australia wasn't exactly on the map in those days. And she is very much a bookworm and a dedicated medico. But her best friend drags her along to a party. She doesn't want to go, but she does. But it was lucky she did because she met the love of her life. But her parents weren't terribly thrilled when she re- they realised she was going to be marrying, albeit handsome, but a Greek fisherman. <laughs> but maybe... If she kept doing medicine, it would be okay. So Pat's aim in life was to become an obstetrician, to look after pregnant women, help them deliver their babies. And she'd been promised a job at King Edward Memorial Hospital. This all seemed terrific. Until the letter came, she opens it with excitement, and when she tells you about it, she still has a throat that goes tight, because what the letter said was, We're so sorry, we know you're the best applicant for the job, 
but we have a man who's applied and he's married with four kids and he needs the job more than you do, so I've given it to him. Thank heavens things have changed. So what do they do? They go for plan B and they move up to a place called Dongara and they did that in the 1960s. Now, I couldn't find a photo of Dongara in the 1960s, but I did find one from 1975, and there are about six shacks there. <laughs> it was not a metropolis, I assure you. But Pat becomes the GP. She raises, they have four children, two boys and two girls, so she's very busy as a country GP there, very much beloved and enjoyed. But what does her husband do? He sets up from absolutely zip the crayfishing industry in Western Australia. Just think, it's been one of the biggest income earners for us through the years, and it still is. And the fact that it is, is because we control the fisheries. We have one of the few sustainable fisheries in the world because the wonderful people up at Hillary's at the Department of Fisheries monitor what's taken out of the ocean every year. And if there are some years when you don't take crayfish, so be it. In fact, the last time that they had a very strict quota, it actually worked out very well in the end because although there were fewer crayfish, the ones that they were able to harvest were bigger and they got far more money for them in the um, Japanese market, main market. So having established the crayfishing industry, they come back to Perth. But it's too late for Pat to become an obstetrician. These days you can have career break. Thank heavens you can, that we're much more enlightened. But she realized it was too late to train as an obstetrician. And she said, well, if I can't help women while they're pregnant, I'm going to try and make sure that the babies they have are healthy. And she became a genetic counselor. She wasn't paid at all. She did it entirely in a voluntary capacity at Royal Perth Hospital. And she worked with families that had devastating diseases, such as Huntington's disease. Huntington's is particularly cruel. If your parents had it, or one of your parents, you have a 50-50 chance of getting it, but you don't know until after your reproductive years, usually in your 40s, and then it strikes you down. It affects your brain, and within a few years, you're dead. She also was studying spinal muscular atrophy, which is a variation of motor neuron disease that we've heard so much about, one that actually kills babies within about two years of birth. And any of you who watched the 7.30 report last night would have seen a report about babies who still suffer with this condition. But the third one was muscular dystrophy. The most common of all genetic diseases, it affects one in 3,500 boys, and it's just like pulling the short straw because, as it turns out, and I'll explain why it's so common, it affects boys and it affects them for life. In fact, for short lives. They're lucky to live to 15 or 20. Their muscles degenerate, and in the end, they just can't gasp for breath anymore. But the wonderful thing Pat did was to be able to give genetic counselling so so many families gave birth to healthy children and not otherwise. And it's estimated that she saved about 5,000 boys from being born with muscular dystrophy in Western Australia. She then retired from that, and that probably should have been enough, but it certainly wasn't. There was far more to come, because... By then, the Kalis family had set up the pearling industry up in Broome, and I'm wearing some Kalis pearls tonight <laughs> that my husband gave me for my birthday about four weeks ago, and so I thought that would be very appropriate. 
But the pearling industry wasn't the success it should have been. So many of the pearls were misshapen, they had black bits, they were knobbly, they just weren't that perfect sphere that you needed. And so Pat stepped in and went up north to discover exactly what was going on in the pearling industry. And what you do is you take a little sphere, actually it's from a mussel shell, and you slip it inside the oyster, prize him open, put it in, and put a little bit of that flappy stuff of the mantle that you see around when you open up anything like an oyster or a mussel. And then, with any luck, the cells grow round absolutely encapsulate your little shell nucleus and you end up with a perfect pearl or otherwise. Well, this is where I come into the story because I was walking along the corridor uh, working at the Department of Zoology at the University of Western Australia when somebody said to me, one of my colleagues, "Um, I'm going on sabbatical for six months tomorrow and I've got this student I'd like you to look after. Um, He's sort of in your area. And when he turned up, and I'm working on how to fix up the brain after injury, I discover he's actually being sponsored by Kayla's Pearls to work out why the pearls are coming out the wrong shape. (laughs) Now, this didn't seem desperately close to my interest. (laughs) Apart from my interest in pearls, to put it mildly. (laughs) But I actually realised it was, because this little piece of tissue was actually stem cells. And what they would do is they would migrate, they would differentiate, and they would form networks. Some would die, some would survive. And that was exactly what I was looking at as the brain was repairing itself. So actually, the principles applied. And it's the only research I've ever done that was commercial in confidence, but it helped sort out our pearling industry. And of course, if any of you go to Calis in town or down in Fremantle, the most beautiful pearls for sale still. So that was the second contribution that Pat made. When her beloved Michael died, she took over running the Kalis Empire, the largest fishing uh, company in the whole of Australia, and helped it grow enormously in size. And she said, I did it by saying, you do the right thing, and if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is something that you should think about. It was absolutely wonderful she did that. And maybe you think that that would be the end of the story, and she's an OBE, she's a fellow of the Academy of Technological Sciences and Engineering, and the Citation of Western Australia. But it isn't the end of the story, because what she did was very carefully keep family histories of all these families with these horrid diseases. So when molecular biology came along, she could provide samples across the world to molecular biologists from someone in the family with the disease and a close relative without. And by comparing the genomes of the two, you could target and find that one gene that goes wrong to cause these diseases. So the discoveries of the genes for Huntingdon's, muscular dystrophy and spinal muscular atrophy are all thanks to Pat's work and Pat's careful consideration of her patients and keeping perfect records. So what was the gene that went wrong in muscular dystrophy? It turned out it's the largest gene in the body because it makes the largest protein in the body and that's why it can go wrong more often because the more often you copy something long, you're more likely to get mistakes in it than copying something short. It's a very interesting protein because it forms coils 
And the coils are there because every time I move my muscles, the muscle fibers slip past one another, but these little coils stop them damaging themselves, a bit like having uh, springs in a car, shock absorbers in a car. And that's why the boys are okay to start with and then go downhill, because you could drive a car and for a while without a shock absorber it'd be okay. But in the end, it would crunch to a halt. Once we knew the gene and we knew the product, then we could set about seeing how we could fix it. And two wonderful scientists who started at the University of Western Australia but are now at Murdoch University, Professor Steve Wilton and Sue Fletcher, have devoted their lives to helping children with muscular dystrophy. And they've discovered a way to mask the product of that gene to turn it from an evil one that stops the protein going into coils into one that makes neat coils again. It isn't a cure. You have to keep giving the treatment because the body makes this stuff all through life. They couldn't raise the funds to do it here because it's very expensive. Everybody has a different mutation, so you have to look, personalized medicine. The company in the U.S. that took this on board, when they announced that Sue and Steve were working with them, the value of their shares went up by $600 million overnight. I think that tells you the importance of this discovery because it applies not only to muscular dystrophy but any genetic disease and any disease, including Alzheimer's, where we know what the gene is and what's wrong with the product. They have run a five-year trial in in, uh, the U.S., in the Western U.S., And of the 12 boys on the trial, 10 of them are still walking or running around, two are in wheelchairs, but still much healthier than they've been otherwise. They would be lucky to be alive today. It's now been approved by the Food and Drug Administration of the US to say that it's a safe treatment. It's no longer experimental. And we had the joy of having one of the young men who's in this program, he's now 16, Billy came to Perth recently, Before he did that, he had just run a kid's marathon. Can you imagine that? He had the most terrific time in Western Australia. You might have read about him in the paper. He even had a ride in the Excellency, the governor's car, which he loved. And Billy was asked by his mum, you were always just middle of the road at school. Now you're absolutely topping your class. Why is that? And he said, because I now know that I'll be alive at the end of the year. I think that really brings it home. Without Pat Kalis's work, we wouldn't know how to help people such as Billy who are suffering from genetic disease, who just pull the short straw when it comes to making that egg and sperm that come together that then makes us. Pat is now more than 80 years old. We celebrated her birthday recently. She's exceedingly modest about what she's done. But I wanted to share this story tonight because I think it's very special and I think the message from it Remember that letter that made her feel so rotten way, way back. I ask you now, was it better if she'd become an obstetrician or done the the things she's done? I think it's probably we'd all agree that getting that letter that said, no, no, do something else, was probably the best for her and for the world. So nothing's good or bad, it's how you play it. Make the most of opportunities, and who knows, you could be the next Pat Kalis. Thank you for listening.
across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Lost in Science. Jessica is a Melbourne comedian who regularly, regularly performs at Political Asylum. She has two kids and lets them mix bicarb soda and vinegar whenever they want. Jess has lived overseas, including in Nigeria, where she learned more than she wanted to about Ebola. So thanks, Jess. Guys, I had a solid 10 minutes on postulates of cock that I've just had to rip up and throw away. So I'm going to do my best uh, to make lemonade, and I'm going to talk to you today about um, Catherine Boyle who is also known as Catherine Jones, who is also known as Lady Renler, who is also known as Viscountess Renler. I've got Wikipedia, and I know you do too, so to make up for that, I read a doctoral thesis in order to prepare for tonight. Um, So, let me tell you some things about Catherine Boyle. She was born in 1615 in Ireland. She was the seventh of 15 children, and her dad was the Earl of Cork. She went on to become one of the most um, admired and influential women of the 17th century, and she had a remarkable ability to stay friends with people even when she disagreed with them and um, even when uh, things kind of went the wrong way between them. And by went the wrong way, I mean there was a revolution and the people who she used to be friends with had their heads on sticks. Um, So she was kind of like a 17th century intellectual powerhouse, Miss Congeniality. Um, She was a scientist, so um, I'm allowed to talk about her tonight. She was a natural philosopher and she practiced medicine. And she had a really brilliant circle of friends. Um, So they included natural philosophers, physicians, politicians, theologians and literary figures as well. Um, she was active in the leading intellectual circles of the time, um, like the Hartlib Circle and the Invisible College. Um, has anybody heard of the Invisible College? Yeah? No? Not many people. Um, I'll just explain. Um, yeah, exactly. It, it, it was kind of like um, Trump University, except people believe that the Invisible College actually existed. Um, that's a joke. Um, <laughs> Um, Okay, it's going to go well from here then. Um, So, (laughs) Catherine's main notoriety now is because um, she was Robert Boyle's big sister. Um, So, Robert Boyle, obviously, he was a super big deal. Um, He was the first modern chemist. Um, Just as a kind of science-y detour, uh, he had a law, Boyle's Law. And Boyle's Law is that within a closed system, um, the relationship between the absolute pressure and the volume of a gas is inversely proportional as long as the temperature is kept constant. So if volume increases, there's less pressure. If volume decreases, there's more pressure. And that relationship is neat and proportional. Um, It's like with pants. Um, If your pants are bigger, there's less pressure. And if your pants are smaller, there's more pressure um, from your body trying to escape your pants. Um, I call this law Jess's law of pants. (laughs) Um, If you pop a button, you're going to enjoy an inversely proportional increase in your comfort. (laughs) You're welcome, guys. (laughs) Thank me later. Buy me a drink. Um, 
so yeah, Catherine's brothers got an amazing education. They went to Eton. They went on um, trips to the continent um, so that they could perfect their Latin and their French and their maths. Catherine and the other Boyle daughters got foundations of religion and civility, um, which was lucky because they needed faith and good manners to put up with all the misogynistic bullshit that was raining down on them. Uh, (laughs) So um, when Catherine was nine and a half, she got sent to live with a family called the Beaumont family. And the reason that she was sent to the Beaumonts was because she was contracted, her father entered into a contract for her to marry um, with a little guy called Sapcot Beaumont. And, and you'll think that Sapcot is a bad name until you learn that um, one of Catherine's sisters was really called Lettuce. <laughs> so, so Sapcot's a lucky guy. Um, but, but when Catherine was 13, um, Sapcot's father died and all of the marriage arrangements fell away. So she moved back home and when she got back home, her father commented that she had lost her foundations of religion and civility. Um, When she was 15, she was sent off again to marry, this time for real. Um, She married a guy called Arthur Jones and she became Catherine Jones. So a historian has said um, her husband had a reputation for boorishness even at the time of their marriage. Now, as someone who's had a reputation for boorishness, I don't want to cast the first stone, um, but that's pretty harsh 400 years later. But it gets worse. Um, One of Catherine's friends wrote in a letter to another friend, He hath only one virtue, that he seldom cometh sober to bed. (laughs) Right? Like, when the best thing that you can say about your friend's husband is that he's usually passed out drunk at bedtime, that's an awkward brunch, you know? (laughs) That's like some Solange in the elevator kind of (laughs) critique. (laughs) Um. So, so Catherine and Arthur, they mostly lived apart, um, but um, through, through the powers of alchemy and transmutation, they did manage to have four children. Um, okay, so enough gags. Let's talk about Catherine's work. Catherine was a natural philosopher. She had an interest in chemistry, in horticulture, in maths, in optics, and her opinions in those areas were sought out by the leading intellectuals of the time. So they would write to her in letters and ask for her opinion about their work, and she would weigh in on what she thought. The Hartlib Circle was very interested in alchemy, and um, you guys will know one of the aims of alchemy was um, to transmute base metals like lead into um, noble ones like gold. And Catherine even wrote to Samuel Hartlib with um, kind of a special piece of information, um, a kind of lead, a story about the philosopher's stone. So she was kind of right in there um, corresponding about about all of these things, not the Harry Potter one, the other one. Um, So she developed medical recipes, which she shared, um, and she made medicines in her kitchen and still room, which she administered within her community. Um, She also passed medicines... um, developed by others along um, so she would she would record recipes and then she would share them within the Hartlib circle and one of these was for a recipe called Lady Kent's powder um, which mightily facilitates childbearing and is admirable for staying of vomits um, which incidentally um, my uber rating reflects that I am admirable for staying of vomits <laughs> and I hope yours does too um, 
So as well as being a natural philosopher, she was a lot of other things. She was a political and religious philosopher. She weighed in on legal matters. She campaigned for educational reform. And among her friends, she was renowned for her piety and her religious authority. She even believed in providence. So when the plague struck in 1665, um, she saw it as God's wrath for people doing the wrong thing. Um, One thing I really wanted to talk about was the fact that Catherine always wrote in manuscript form. So her work was handwritten and it was not published in print. So she hand wrote letters to members of parliament, to religious leaders, to royalty, to fellow intellectuals. They respected her greatly. They listened to her views. They sought out her views. But she never tried to have her work published. Um, Some of her manuscripts were written one-on-one with kind of a view that maybe somebody would extract something from them or pass them along to another select audience, but, but never printed. Um, and that was because in the 17th century, print was considered to be immodest and not immodest in a bragging way, immodest in a slutty way. Um, so manuscripts were a kind of one-on-one chaste form of communication that was acceptable for women of that era because print was considered promiscuous. So, you know, from a 17th century perspective, the New York Times bestseller list is basically just a really advanced form of slut shaming. Um, that's also a joke. Uh, <laughs> Um, so, just just getting getting towards the end of Catherine's life, um, she was very close with her brother Robert Boyle for the last 23 years of their lives. Um, Catherine and Robert lived together, and she had a little laboratory built at the back of her house. Um, Robert actually died just one week after Catherine, and at his funeral, um, their friend Gilbert Burnett also eulogised Catherine, and he said. She had, with a vast reach both of knowledge and apprehensions, a universal affability and easiness of access, a humility that descended to the meanest persons and concerns, an obliging kindness and readiness to observe those who had no occasion for any further assistance from her. And with all these and many more excellent qualities, she had the deepest sense of religion and the most constant turning of her thoughts and discourses that way that has been perhaps in our age." Such a sister became such a brother. So science had finally transmuted the worthless lump of lead of a woman into the gold nugget of a man. Um, So that was good news for all of those in the 17th century who were hoping to have alchemy um, proved to be true. So I think um, maybe in that time um, there was an inversely proportional relationship between a woman's public defiance of social convention and her influence. The greater her piety, her modesty, her ability to privately win people over, the more power she had. So if a woman made herself very small so as not to step on anyone's toes, the pressure that she could exert was greater. This is Catherine Boyle's law, and we should ask ourselves how true it remains today. Okay, and that is it for the first episode of the Lost in Science Summer Series for 2018. Lost in Science is, of course, recorded at the studios of 3CR in Melbourne and it airs across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Uh, We would love you to get in touch with us. Give us something to talk about in this year, new year. Uh, You can email us at lostinsci at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. You should do that anyway. We are Lost in Science on 3CR. Or you can find us on Twitter. We are Lost in Science 1. Uh, You can also, of course, listen to our podcast 
on your favorite podcasting app. Uh, if you have the opportunity, please give us a good rating and a review. Or, of course, you can just find us on the radio, where every week we will get Lost in Science. Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.